Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair, and I want you to know that every once in a while, actually, it probably happens as often as it doesn't, but I'll have a guest on that I really connect with and I feel a kinship for, you know, kind of a friendship buds right out of that initial contact when I haven't known the person before. Now, sometimes that means that I'm only going to, uh, you know, keep in contact by an occasional email or text message or see them at a trade show or something like that. Other times, if they're here in state in Utah, like my next guest is, then it might be something where I actually get to get together with that individual on some kind of a regular basis. And I kind of hope that's the case with my next guest. What a fascinating guy. His name is Nick Zemp. We're going to talk about fermentation. Now, fermentation is a big topic. There's a lot to it. We're not going to teach you how to ferment all your food during this particular episode, but we will give you a lot of insight into how it works, why it's important, what you may want to consider when it comes to fermenting your own or eating fermented food, how fermented food differs from probiotic supplements, and a lot more in this episode. I think it's going to be really interesting to you. I've already done the interview, and I can't wait for you to hear it. If you have questions, call us, 801-292-6662, or you can jump on our online chat at vitalitynutrition.com. You can also join our Facebook community. There will be a link for that in the show, and or in the show description, sorry. I love our Facebook community. We're over 500 members now, gaining a few every week. Love to have more of you involved because you get a lot of excellent answers from a lot of resources, not just me, in that group. And we'll be giving out extra education on a weekly basis beyond what we do here on the podcast. So we'd love to have you there. Also, so you know, we are working on a newsletter. I'd love to get some feedback from you on whether or not you think that would be useful We're hoping to get one out, uh, the first one out before the end of the year and then do them on a regular basis after that. As much as we can to support your journey towards optimal vitality. But in the meantime, listen to this awesome interview with a gentleman who I really now consider a friend. I really enjoyed this interview and I hope you do as well. His name is Nick Zemp on Vitality Radio. Okay, it's time to introduce my guest. His name is Nicholas Zemp. He is a Chinese and Western herbalist aromatherapist, educator, and an avid naturalist and gardener. Currently does research evaluating an efficacy of dietary supplements and herbs for one of the companies I have the as long a relationship with as just about anybody. Uh, they're now known as the Better Being Company, but uh, many of you know them as Solaray or possibly uh, some of their other brands, Cal, uh, or uh, Zao or a variety of other brands they have up there. But regardless, he's working at a local Utah company that has a very, very big f- footprint in 
independent health food stores out there like Vitality Nutrition. He's been studying, teaching, and practicing herbal medicine for over 20 years. Nick has taught on numerous topics around the United States and presented original research at various international conferences and has a passion for sharing both traditional wisdom and science-based approaches to living healthier and happier. Some of his passions include intuitive nutrition, mycology, and food fermentation, environmental remediation and sustainability, Ayurvedic medicine, and traditional Chinese herbalism as well. That's a long list of things you like to talk about, Nick. And when you when I invited you on and you gave me that list, I thought, well, my gosh, where do I start? And we decided to start with fermentation. Welcome to Vitality Radio. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Of course, we met for the first time just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but uh, your boss up there at uh, Nutraceutical, or uh, one of your bosses, I don't know how that all works, is an old friend of mine, Max yeah. Willis. And so happy to have you on the show. And I will say that um, I anticipate this is not the first episode you, episode you'll do because there are many of the things that you have a deep knowledge of that I would love to present to my listeners. So uh, get used to hearing this guy's voice because he'll be on uh, more than just this one time. But let's awesome. go ahead and dive in to this topic of fermentation. I think it's a really... Uh, how do, how do I put it? I think people know about fermented foods, maybe, but in America in particular, I don't think most people even necessarily know what that means. So first, let's talk about what fermentation is, and then maybe if you'll get a little bit into uh, how it's been traditionally done, you know, throughout the centuries. Certainly. So, uh, yeah, we are, we, we consume fermented foods all the time without even really ever really considering that we are eating fermented foods. Uh, but what fermentation really is, is it's just a microbial process where food is transformed through the benefits of different microorganisms. Uh, that can be bacteria, it can be yeasts or fungi, um, it can be bacteriophages. I mean, there's, the list goes on and on and on. And, uh, you know, a lot of the foods that we commonly consume that are fermented that we don't even think about as being fermented foods. One of the big ones that is probably, you know, really popular with pretty much everybody around the world is chocolate. Uh, most people don't realize that chocolate goes through a fermentation process. Ones that people are probably really familiar with would be yogurt, you know, maybe sauerkraut, um, cheeses, things like that. But there's, I mean, again, the list goes on and on. Sourdough, everybody went through the whole sourdough phase a couple of years ago. So, um, but yeah, so traditionally fermentation is a preservation process. So before we had refrigeration, before we had uh, any way to preserve food through, um, you know, more scientific processes with, you know, high pressures, high heat, kind of killing things that way, we used fermentation. And it is a process that has occurred naturally to our food through, all throughout history. I mean, even if you leave you know, your orange juice out on the counter, you know, for a few days, that's going to ferment and it will turn into, you know, maybe not the best tasting alcohol, but it will definitely turn into alcohol through, <laughs> through yeast um, or through the action of yeast consuming that. So it's traditionally been used as a, you know, way to preserve and to lengthen the amount of time that we can consume foods. Uh, in more of a modern era, what we've really started to grab a hold of and a lot of, uh, you know, fine dining restaurants and chefs and things like that uh, have really 
kind of attach themselves to is the unique and complex flavors that can also come about through fermentation. So um, coffee, for instance, goes, depending on how it's processed, can also be uh, go through a fermentation cycle, which will change the flavors. It can also change the compounds that are available. Um, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's this really traditional thing that is now starting to get um, a little more science behind it. Uh, you know, it, it's gaining more and more interest, uh, not only for, you know, the, the numerous health benefits and the, you know, ever increasing understanding of the human microbiome. And it's important in so many uh, roles of health. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, primarily it was a, a preservation method. All right. So then here we are in 2023, though, we don't necessarily require fermentation to preserve food, right? We have refrigeration, we have canning and bottling, we have a variety of different ways that we can preserve food. We can certainly preserve food with preservatives, uh, which, you know, most people listening to a health talk uh, podcast are maybe going to be a little less excited about. But there are ways that you can preserve food without fermentation. And yet here in America right now, and, and I don't know what it's like worldwide because I think it's interesting. You know, you've studied Ayurveda and, and Chinese uh, medicine. I've spent a fair amount of time looking at those things as well. And one of the things that I've kind of always lamented about this boiling pot, uh, uh, melting pot, sorry, that we call America, where we have people from all over the world that have settled here in various areas of this country is that a many, it seems like they left behind a lot of the traditions to some degree. Because, you know, in Japan, we have the tradition of uh, green tea being a really, really common thing. Uh, natto, if we want to talk about something that's fermented, yeah. that's used in Japan, or miso, right? Um, in other cultures, like uh, another Asian culture, Korea, we have kimchi. They put a bunch of cabbage and some spices in a glass jar and bury it in the dirt for an extended period of time while it ferments. And we, uh, in, in uh, you know, Europe, we have sauerkraut, particularly, I think, Germany, maybe the most known for that. I was just in Switzerland a month or so ago, and, and one of the things that I love to eat when I'm over there is their, what I call, real sauerkraut, the stuff that's actually yeah. fermented as opposed to pickled. And, you know, in, we have all these different cultures where we have all these traditions of tonic herbs and food uh, processes, you know, maybe it's soaking beans before we use them or fermenting something before we use it. And in America, it seems like a lot of that stuff's been lost. But now, as we have this thing we call the internet and podcasting and Instagram and all these other things, some of that stuff's getting into a little bit more, you know, mainstream now where people are talking about, oh, well, wait, maybe we should be looking at the way things were done 100 years ago or 200 years ago or thousands of years ago. And now, you know, we talk about things like paleo and all these things that have sort of come back that are, you know, old has become new again. Well, with fermentation, what do you think, what's your experience as to why people are starting to say maybe going back that old way is a benefit to us nowadays, even though we don't need it for preservation? Yeah, uh, I, I would say maybe that there's kind of two different avenues that we could take um, or the you know kind of people think about fermented foods in that way um, one is uh, not necessarily it's again it's kind of more for this you know the uh, you know kind of wonderful foods that we can produce 
through fermentation uh, that are really gaining a lot of popularity in culture. Uh, I would say kombucha is something that I've seen explode over the last, you know, 20 years. I remember when I first started making kombucha um, and, you know, I, I'm a go big or go home. So I'd make like two gallons, you know, a couple of times a week and put it in my refrigerator. And then I would try to get my friends to drink it. And they would say, you know, what in the world is this that you're trying to give me? You know, this is not good whatsoever. Uh-huh. And now, I mean, it's wild. I, you know, I don't ferment kombucha that much anymore. Um, but I still have friends ask me all the time of like, oh, hey, you know, do you know anybody where I can get a SCOBY? I want to try making my own. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's it's somewhat becoming a trendy thing, uh, you know, and, and we're starting to rediscover and starting to learn more about these older foods and more traditional ways of preparing foods and things like that, that have, you know, that come, come from fermentation. And even uh, another thing that I really like to do is I'll take miso, which is a, a traditional Japanese ferment, and I'll uh, rub it on like a, a piece of meat, you know, and the enzymatic action of that really kind of tenderizes the meat and adds some extra unique flavors and umami and things like that. So so I think that's one of the, the areas where it's really starting to kind of come more into, you know, mainstream culture is the, you know, there's been a few popular fermented foods that have popped up in the last handful of years um, that have really kind of driven that. And then I would say the other side or the flip side of that coin is, is, you know, um, I, again, about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you know, the human microbiome, the, the ability to kind of decode the genetics of, of humans and, and all of the microbes that exist on our skin and in our gut and in our, you know, hair and in our, you know, every part and parcel of our body, uh, people are really starting to kind of pay attention to the numerous health benefits that um, come about as a result of having a healthy microbiome. And so fermented foods can be one way that you can introduce, um, you know, these healthy and, uh, you know, beneficial bacteria into our systems um, in, in those ways. So. Awesome. And you mentioned something that I have experienced, and that is exploding kombucha. Um, yeah. If you ever, <laughs> if you ever want to see that, just shake up a bottle really good before you open it. It's not different than soda other than it won't kill you. But, uh, yeah, uh, kombucha can pack a punch. I, I uh, Early on in my days of experimenting with kombucha, I made the mistake of shaking a bottle up to get the sediment off the bottle. And I recognize that, uh, yeah, it does actually explode. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what is happening when we're fermenting something. So, uh, you know, whether it's sourdough or kombucha, if you want to pick, a, you know, a specific uh, food, go for it. Yeah. But what is the actual process that's taking place? So, and, and it's, you're very true in saying that, you know, it's kind of different for every fermented food. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll pick a, a pretty simple example of, of sourdough bread making. Okay. So, you know, we, we start with flour, which has uh, a lot of different types of polysaccharides or sugars in there. Some are complex, some are really simple, like glucose is a simple saccharide. Uh, and then we incorporate yeast. And a lot of the time you can just go into the grocery store nowadays and you can buy yeast right off the shelf. And that's, uh, you know, yeast are just small little types of fungi, basically. 
And, you know, a lot of people will mix it into some water and add a little bit of sugar or they'll add a little bit of flour. In the case of sourdough, you know, you'll add a little bit of flour, a little bit of yeast, and then you'll kind of let that sit on your counter. And what's happening is that yeast really loves to eat the sugars, the simple sugars, glucose in that flour that is available in that flour, especially once you wet it. Mm-hmm. And they produce two different metabolites, basically. Um, you know, I always call it just like the, the bacterial poop, basically. Um, but you're getting two different compounds that come out of the back end of that yeast, one of which is uh, carbon dioxide and the other is alcohol. So even in sourdough bread, you're going to make it all out and the amounts are completely, you know, uh, there's nothing really there that's going to allow um, any kind of like alcohol for people that are sensitive to that or don't want to incorporate that into their diet. Uh, but it's going to, you're going to get a lot of different unique flavors. And so the carbon dioxide is what causes that uh, bread or the loaf of bread to rise. And then again, those, the different acids and again, primarily alcohol is the main other byproduct of yeast fermentation are going to um, add lots of unique carbon or like hydrocarbon flavors and different things like this that are going to really like enhance the flavor of that bread, which is why if you go buy a loaf of Wonder Bread, which hopefully, you know, people listening to the show are still well clear of that because there's a lot of garbage in that. But if you grab that off the shelf or, you know, for the people that ate it as children or whatever, uh, versus a loaf, uh, you know, a nice artisan loaf of sourdough bread that's gone through two or three days of fermentation, you can just taste the difference. You can taste all of the different flavors and kind of nuttiness and everything that goes along with that bread versus that simple, really horrible white bread. Well, you also mentioned something. You talked about rubbing miso onto a piece of meat and that enzymatic activity kind of you know tenderizing the meat. Let's talk a little bit more about like sourdough, for instance, because there are people who are, um, you know, gluten intolerant, for instance, and in many cases, uh, they can handle a real sourdough bread that clearly has grain that had gluten, had wheat that had gluten. Um, what's happening in that process that takes someone that can't typically handle, say, a piece of white bread, but can handle a piece of sourdough bread? Yeah. So in the case of, of wild fermentation, and this is one of the benefits of, you know, using sourdough versus the yeast that you buy out of the grocery store is that you have with sourdough or any kind of wild fermentation, you have a very complex community of different bacteria, different yeasts, different fungi that all have different food preferences for themselves. So, you know, in the case of sourdough, you're going to have lots of different uh, lactic acid producing bacteria. You're going to probably have some other fungi in there besides the typical, you know, pure yeast that you buy at the grocery store, which is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Um, You're going to have other yeast and other bacteria and other fungi in there that are all going to want to eat, you know, different compounds, some of which would be those. uh, Well, and what they do is they produce uh, different compounds or different peptides um, different amylases and things like that, that then go ahead and they're able to break down these bigger, longer chain molecules, similar to gluten. Um, there is still gluten in sourdough bread. So, you know, obviously some people that have celiac can't, uh, really handle that, but 
you know, there are a lot of people that have more mild gluten intolerances that through that action of microbial fermentation, especially if it's a wild fermentation, you know, there's such a diverse microbial community that you're in, in essence, you know, making it somewhat safer, um, to, to be able to, for people to be able to handle that by breaking down some of those bigger molecules. Um, and you know, we briefly discussed, uh, traditional Chinese medicine. There is an herb and, uh, or a, a processing method for traditional Chinese herbs that uses fermentation to actually reduce the toxicity of certain herbs that are highly toxic, like aconite, um, or monkshood is the kind of the English term. But it's a very common herb used in traditional Chinese medicine, and they actually ferment that herb uh, with um, a lot of the time they'll use like fermented black beans um, to cook the herbs together, and it goes through a fermentation process, and that actually makes it so that way you can ingest the futsa or the aconite without going into like liver failure. That's very interesting. I wasn't aware of that. That's uh, that's cool. It is interesting yeah. when the fermentation process happens, how, you know, a food can look much the same, but be quite different in terms of yeah. uh, not only the flavor. I mean, take cabbage and sauerkraut, you know, it's a perfect example. Yeah. Cabbage has very little flavor on its own, but you ferment the stuff and it's, it's, it's a whole different yeah. animal, right? Yeah. So then let's talk a little bit about, uh, we, we talk about fermentation. I think when most people hear it that have delved into this topic a little bit, they think of the health benefits of the microbiome as probably one of the main reasons they would want to eat fermented food. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> we have some fermented food like uh, sauerkraut that can be raw. We can take raw sauerkraut, ferment that sauerkraut and eat it raw. And we know that there's a difference between the bacteria that is, uh, or what happens to the bacteria when it is cooked versus when it is raw. Uh, but you mentioned sourdough, and of course, a sourdough loaf is always baked. Uh, and so you would think that the benefits, if, if you're not very familiar with the process, you might think the benefits of the sourdough are gone once it's baked in terms of the microbiome. Talk a little bit about how that works. So with fermented foods, there are, uh, you know, let's talk about sauerkraut, for instance, as opposed to sourdough. Um, so in Germany, a lot of the time you'll cook sauerkraut in Asia, another really common popular fermented food is kimchi, which is again, just another form of fermented cabbage that, you know, they mix in some spices and some ginger and garlic and things like that. Uh, but it's essentially a lot of the same microbes that are going to be, uh, culturing and fermenting that food. But what happens is as these microbes begin to grow in that perfect environment of uh, sauerkraut or kimchi, whatever it is that you're, you're lacto-fermenting, is, this is the type of fermentation you're doing. In this particular case, it's the lacto-ferment. You are you know, increasing the population of lactic acid-producing bacteria. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the back of a supplement bottle and they'll see lactobacillus. All lactobacillus probiotics are lactic acid-producing bacteria. And what that does is it does two things. One, lowers down the pH so it makes that food safe to age for you know weeks to years to even sometimes just as quick as days but they also produce a lot of other secondary metabolites namely butyric acid a 
acetic acid, propionic acid, and those are all short chain fatty acids, which have a lot of health benefits, uh, not only for our gut through intestinal, uh, the intestinal lining and the gut barrier function, which, you know, produces or is really important in maintaining, uh, you know, leaky gut, things like that from uh, all these different things kind of getting into our body where they shouldn't be causing inflammation. But they also have benefits on the nervous system and on just kind of every aspect of our, our health. So as these bacteria are growing, they continue to excrete all of these uh, secondary metabolites is one of the common commonly used terms for them. And then when we cook that, you know, whether you're cooking kimchi in a soup or you're cooking sauerkraut, uh, you know, with your bratwurst, uh, you are effectively killing off the live bacteria. The thing is, is that all of the cell bodies, all of those bacteria are still in that food. We haven't, you know, purified it in any other way other than we've just killed those live bacteria. And their cellular remnants, all of the secondary metabolites that they have produced during that fermentation stage when it was still alive, uh, continue to persist in whatever it is that you're making. So if we, you know, cook some sauerkraut, you have essentially heat killed all of those bacteria, uh, but you're effectively leaving behind all of the metabolites that they produce during fermentation. And, you know, that continues to offer a lot of different health benefits. And even in the scientific literature, there is a lot of, uh, a, it's kind of a more of an emerging, emerging field right now with tindalized or heat killed bacteria as, you know, this term postbiotics. It's another one that a lot of people may be, you know, starting to get familiar with uh, postbiotics. And yeah, that's essentially what it is, is bacteria that have been killed off through a heating process and you're left with all of the, the cells and all of the secondary metabolites that they produce. So while it is cooked and the bacteria can no longer colonize at that point, there are still benefits from having, from, from everything that happened during the process of the fermentation itself. Correct. Correct. Okay, excellent. I, I like that. And another point of clarity that I want to make for people that are unaware we talked about preservation at the very you know, onset of this uh, discussion. And of course, now we preserve things a variety of different ways. One way that we can quote unquote, make sauerkraut today or pickles today is to pickle it. Um, yeah. But that's not the same as fermentation. Uh, as, as I understand it, it's, we can preserve it because of what you said about the pH. We're adding vinegar, which is gonna reduce the pH because it's a high acid food. And that in and of itself can preserve the food. But what are we missing if we're just pickling the whole rest of the process? Um, yes. Yeah. That's essentially exactly what you're doing is through that fermentation, especially with lactic acid fermentation, you know, you are really those bacteria are producing lactic acid and vinegar originally is also a fermented food. You know, most of the vinegar you go buy on the shelves, you know, in your grocery store has probably been pasteurized or all of the bacteria that have been killed off. There are, you know, you've got frags and things like that, that have the mother still in it. And if you can get those vinegars, um, just much the same way that we just talked about with, you know, even if you do take some apple cider or some live apple cider vinegar and use that to make your pickles in a traditional, well, not traditional, but more uh, modern form of pickling that, you know, when we say pickling, like I'm going to, you know, use some, some, 
vinegar and some sugar or some salt and some spices, dump that in my jar of pickles with some dill, seal it up, and then in a couple, you know, couple of days, couple of weeks, then I have a jar of dill pickles. Um, you can use still that live vinegar in that pickling process, and then you get all the benefits from that live vinegar still, although you are still pasteurizing it. In a traditional fermentation process, the bacteria themselves, as they eat through all of the sugars that are in those cabbage uh, leaves and in the juice and everything like that that comes out, you are also at the same time, they're producing lactic acid. And you know through just successive growth cycles of all of those bacteria, that lowers and lowers and lowers the pH. And so um, it's, it can be really confusing because oftentimes people talk about uh, fermentation as, oh, I'm gonna you know, pickle this sauerkraut when they're referring to lactic acid fermentation. Right. Um, you know, so it can get kind of confusing in a lot of the articles and things like that that you would read online. Um, but kind of the more accurate definition of pickling would be just using any type of acid to lower the pH to make that food safe for long-term storage. Whereas fermentation, you have that live process that's going on where those bacteria are, you know, consuming the sugars and the other compounds in whatever it is that you're fermenting. And it's, and that is what lowers the pH. So you, when you make sauerkraut, for instance, which I always love to get people to start with when I teach people how to ferment, because it's so simple, you take sour uh, cabbage, chop it up, add in some salt, kind of mash it a little bit to get the juices to come out and you pack it in a jar and that's it. You leave it on your counter for two or three days. And I promise you that that sauerkraut will be better than any sauerkraut you can go buy in the store. Yeah, it's it really is shocking how much better it is, uh, and and the same can be said about pickles, as well. Although the process of making pickles is a little bit more, um, uh, there's a little more to it than uh, than sauerkraut. Uh, so for for consumers that are out there looking at, um, you know, there's I think there's going to be a couple of different kinds of people that are listening to this show. There will be people that say, "Oh man, I want to try that. I'm going to ferment my own stuff." There's a lot of tutorials on YouTube. There's all kinds of places you can get information. There's some great books on the topic. Um, and, and Nick, I'd be interested to hear if you've got any specific uh, recommendations you might want to make in that area. Um, in fact, go ahead and give us those if you have them, and then I want to finish my point. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I would say maybe the best book for beginners, and this is honestly you know, one of the places that I really started, is Sandor Katz. He is, you know, kind of the the father figure of the fermentation movement, the new fermentation movement. Uh, he lives on a, a farm down in Tennessee, I believe, still. And he wrote a book called Wild Fermentation. It's, you know, just a, you know, maybe a 150-page paperback book. It's got some really great recipes. It talks about, um, you know, microbial fermentation, what it is, what its benefits are. Um, and how much of an impact it's had on his life uh, as a person living with HIV AIDS. And, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of a good intro into it. If you want to get a little bit more advanced into it, he's got a second book um, that I also is one of my fermentation Bibles, because um, again, it's just very broad. It's almost encyclopedic in nature, and it's called The Art of Fermentation. Um, but there are an increasing number of people that are looking at this topic and, uh, you know, experimenting and looking back at, um, 
you know, these old ancient recipes. I mean, even uh, Worcestershire sauce, uh, you know, has its foundations in uh, fermented sauce called garum, which is uses fish and onions and a bunch of other things, um, you know, to make what is essentially the antecedent or the precursor to Worcestershire. Um, Interesting. But yeah, so those are a, a couple of good books. And then from there, there are a lot of topic specific books. If you want to make your own cheese or if you want to, you know, ferment Asian foods, soy sauce, miso, tempeh, things like that. Um, you know, there's there's a long list of, of uh, books and, you know, again, a thousand YouTube tutorials. Um, if people do want to get into it, I would say that the probably the easiest ones um, that I make a couple times a week would be sauerkraut uh, and yogurt. Yogurt is really simple to make at home. Um, you don't need to go buy any fancy culture. Just get some live yogurt from your grocery store, just plain. Heat some milk up, cool it back down to where it's about body temperature. Add in one or two spoonfuls of the live stuff that you got at the grocery store. Keep it warm for about 10 to 12 hours and bam, you've got homemade yogurt. And again, it's it's way more delicious than the stuff at the, you know, your Danon or whatever, your Yoplait that has, you know, lots of binders and, and different chemical agents, uh, you know, to make it thick and make it kind of consistent across each and every batch. So, yeah, I love that. And and it's important, I think, too, because if you if, if any of you listening have gotten on to the um, sourdough train, you know that sourdough is a process to learn how to make it. And they call it yeah. artisan for a reason, because I think there's just as much art as science involved in sourdough. But some of these things really are kind of baby step entry, uh, you know, fermentation processes such as cabbage and sauerkraut. And you almost can't mess those ones up. So uh, there are easier things to do in fermentation, more challenging things. I highly encourage you to start uh, just making your own sauerkraut and see what that's like. Now, if you don't love sauerkraut, there's something wrong with your taste buds, but, uh, you know, work on it because uh, it's amazing. I would also add to the fact that like a lot of people that I know don't like the, like the jarred sauerkraut that you go buy in the grocery right. store, but they'll eat my sauerkraut because of the fact that that jarred stuff has been made with vinegar. So it's like very acidic, uh -huh. you know, not as palatable, but then you eat something that's, you know, made fresh and it still has a lot of like nice crunch and crisp to it. And it's a totally different story. I've gotten a lot of people to eat sauerkraut that typically were not sauerkraut fans. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely can understand uh, how that would be the case. One thing that really enticed me into the world of fermentation, mm -hmm. and you just kind of alluded to this, is that you really can't mess it up. These yeah. things have been happening for thousands of years. You know, people have been fermenting foods as long as we've been people. Uh, and, you know, well long before modern sterilization and sanitation techniques, well before the idea of germ theory, um, and so when I, one of my very first ferments that I ever made was mead, which is a type of fermented alcohol made from honey. Um, you know, I really just was like, oh man, I'm just going to try this. I'm going to wing it, you know? And of course I washed all of my utensils and things like that, that I did to make it, but I wasn't super concerned about making sure that everything was like pristine, sterile, you know, anything like that. And it came out amazing. Um, Interesting. you know, it's the same thing with sauerkraut or a lot of these ferments. You know, you're producing these bacteria and these microbes in such great numbers that they're going to outcompete anything that might make you sick. And of course, you know, you still want to be careful. You still want to know 
kind of what you're doing and know what signs to watch for if you end up with problems because they're they happen to everybody um you know but it is really it is really just that simple that we've been doing this for thousands of years oftentimes the only ingredient and the only equipment that you need is whatever you're fermenting and salt yeah i love that and uh, and i think that's important for people to understand too because it is especially maybe for people that are a little bit less comfortable in the kitchen doing things from scratch this can feel somewhat overwhelming i've certainly found myself in that position thinking ah, i don't know if i can make sourdough that seems like a lot of a lot of yeah. work um and yet i i think that they are traditional things that have been done for thousands of years this is stuff that i think any of us can kind of figure out if we're willing to do a little bit of trial and error and i love that you pointed out that it's also a very safe uh, process uh, as long as you know the basics. So I would recommend, and I, I, I am going to link to this book. I've yet to look at it myself, but uh, if it's good enough for you, Nick, then I'm definitely interested. Wild Fermentations from Sandor, S-A-N-D-O-R, Cats, K-A-T-Z. I'll link that in the show description. You can check that out um, and uh, and see if you can find a copy of that for yourself. Let's talk, we, we probably have maybe... We're li we had a little bit of technical difficulty that you don't know about listening uh, that set us back a little bit. But I think we have about eight to ten minutes left. So let's jump into the, the next topic uh, a little bit that I want to get into. So, again, as I mentioned before, we have the microbiome. I talk about the microbiome constantly on Vitality Radio. And I do get a lot of people asking me about, okay, well, but can I, you know, fortify my microbiome with fermented foods? And I always say, yes, it's a really useful part of the package but let's talk a little bit about what we know about fermented foods versus probiotics as a supplement and where they might both fit in your opinion nick certainly um so i would say the kind of the the big difference uh between the two is with a wild fermentation uh you know they that environment constantly changes and it constantly uh, favors, you know, different bacterial species, different fungal species that change as that fermentation goes along. With probiotics, you kind of know what you're getting, you know, the dose that you're getting. Um, and so while eating fermented foods, I think should be an important part of every diet, because not only are you getting the probiotics, but you're also getting the different compounds in the food, the fibers, the resistant starches, things like that, that you're getting from the food that you eat, the fermented food as well. With probiotics, there's, you know, a lot more research. I, I looked a little bit earlier just, you know, to do a little bit of prep. I always like to kind of brush up on any topic that I'm going to talk about just so I know kind of the latest and greatest of what's mm -hmm. going on. Uh, but there haven't really been a lot of, you know, well-designed trials around fermented foods. You know, you have, you do have things like, you know, yogurt and sourdough and uh, kimchi and uh, kombucha, but there are a lot of other fermented foods out there that we just don't really have, you know, a strong scientific understanding of what is going on in the ferment and what the benefits to human health is from those. Uh, you know, with probiotics, we do know that, you know, you're getting, you know, for instance, our microbiome strains, a lot of them have, you know, 20 plus uh, different species of bacteria. We know what they are. We can easily supplement that into the diet. We can control 
for you know what else is going on you know through randomized controlled trials mm -hmm. and we can see kind of those benefits specific to those bacteria um, to those products things like that um, but you are also missing out on you know a lot of the compounds that are going to be produced through microbial fermentation that you're not going to get in that pure strain uh, you're missing out on a lot of the fibers and um, you know, resistant starches and all the other things that go along with eating fermented foods. So I think they each have their place. Uh, you know, I mean, if somebody just went through a course of antibiotics or something like that, I'm not going to tell them to say, well, I will, because I tell everybody to eat fermented foods, but <laughs> I'll also say, hey, you know, supplement with, you know, a good quality probiotic. So you know that you're getting, you know, really high levels of those bacteria in order to kind of repopulate your gut uh, and even though a lot of them can be transient, um, the benefits again, will stay behind and they'll also help change the community that's in your gut. And I think that's another thing that's really important to understand is that even if some of these things, you know, may come and go, and then you stop taking it and they go, this is a whole dynamic system that's going on in our gut. You know, we have thousands of different types of microbes, uh, whether that be, you know, bacteria or fungi or spore formers or, you know, viruses or, you know, I mean, just it's, it's almost impossible to really truly calculate what's actually going on. And all those, you know, interactions and reactions and things like that in the gut are so complex, um, you know, that we really don't know uh, what is truly going on, but we can look at how that community changes over time based on the foods that you eat or based on the probiotics that you're taking. Um, and then we can also evaluate those health benefits that come as a result of that. Yeah, and I would, I would definitely tend to agree with you. I think for one thing, there's no, uh, there's no downside to eating fermented foods that I can think of at all. You've got all this upside with no downside whether or not your microbiome is in significant trouble or just needs a little bit of a boost because I think all of our microbiomes need a little bit of a boost on a daily basis because we're under attack from so many things that are you know, beating down that microbiome. We can look at fermented food on a daily basis, at least this is how I look at it. And I do eat some fermented food daily. I, boy, I, I bet I don't go a day without eating fermented food. Yeah. Hardly ever. I, I do it on a regular basis, whether it's sauerkraut or pickles or, or uh, sourdough or, or a few Jeez. other things. Yeah, and I, and I do a, a lot of medicinal mushrooms as well. Uh, yeah. You know, the reishis and, and cordyceps and, and uh, shiitake and so on. And so on some level, I'm getting some fermentation every day. And the way I look at it is not so much as medicine, although it is certainly medicinal, as just maintenance, just kind of giving the gut some things that it needs, giving the body some things that it needs, giving it a wide range of things that are going to help on the immune, uh, with the immune system, with the digestive system, and uh, various other things. I'm a huge believer in lion's mane. I use that one on a daily basis to try and keep yeah. my brain doing what it's supposed to do, and so on and so forth. So I look at it that way, but then there are plenty of reasons why we would want a probiotic as a supplement as well. I talk often about spore probiotics versus human strain probiotics. And, and depending on what episodes of this show someone may have listened to, 
I have uh, touted both for a variety of different reasons. There's good reasons to use both depending on, you know, what's going on and what, what's happening with your body. And you can look at those as more supplemental things. And the others is just a fantastic, uh, as far as fermented food, as just a fantastic addition to your diet if you're not currently doing those things. So I did mention mushrooms, and I know that's a topic that you said we could talk about for an hour without any problems. So let's go ahead and wrap up just talking a little bit about that, because I think people recognize that, you know, mushrooms are a fungi and and fungi happens as, you know, it's essentially a process of fermentation that's happening there, too. How do you relate the two things, a fermented food versus a mushroom? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's. Uh, you know, again, uh, without trying to get too deep in just the last few minutes that we have, uh, I think the main to carry on and, and also to carry on the conversation that we've been having, I would say the real benefit to mushrooms in this case is mushrooms act as a prebiotic. Um, you know, they have a lot of non-digestible fibers, the chitin, which, you know, forms all of the cell walls of, of fungi, um, you know, can be broken down through fermentation. Uh, through fermented products. Um, And, you know, when we feed, when we take those things, you know, you mentioned lion's mane, you mentioned reishi, which is a really great, you know, medicinal mushroom with, again, you know, we we could probably talk about reishi alone for an hour if you wanted, Um, you know, but a lot of these act in the gut as, you know, precursors or food for the bacteria in, in the gut microbiome. Mushrooms are not really technically a fermentation it's not a fermentation process when they grow in the woods or you know if you're doing them you know a lot of people will buy the mushroom blocks for lion's mane Mm -hmm. or shiitake and things like that um that's actually like a a, it's they're similar to us in the fact that they breathe in oxygen and they produce enzymes uh that go out and they kind of eat their environment um so that's that's really kind of an enzymatic action similar to catabolism in our own body where we're, you know, ingesting food, sugars, uh, we're breaking those sugars down through enzymes, um, and different, you know, proteases and amylases and all of the different things. And we're breathing in oxygen and we're combining those two things into energy for us. And that's exactly the same process the fungi are going through when they, you know, decompose all of their environment around them. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, I think, Fungi and and probiotics and fermented foods all go hand in hand because, again, these are processes that have evolved over, you know, all of time together along with humans. Um, And, you know, we've really been able to capture those benefits um, throughout history and now through kind of the modern idea of, okay, we can grow, you know, some lion's mane on our counter in our kitchen. And you can also make some sauerkraut on your counter as well, you know, and, and again, it's just, I think, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, it's just a part of maintaining overall health, you know, just to consistently incorporate these things into our diets and into our regimens. Yeah. Okay. I, and I appreciate you clarifying that because I really do feel like this is one aspect of uh, nutrition, and there are so many, unfortunately, that I've got a lot more work to do on myself to really get educated and understand. I'm curious because I, I this is a question I've always had that I've never asked, and we do have, I think, just a few minutes left here. 
So with kombucha, you mentioned making kombucha. You mentioned the SCOBY. The SCOBY is essentially a mushroom, is it not? So the SCOBY, it actually is an acronym. stands for um, Symbiotic Community of Bacteria and Yeast. So it's spelled S-C-O-B-Y. Mm -hmm. So yeasts are actually uh, a type of fungi. Mm -hmm. They're in a whole class of fungi called Ascomycetes. And then the ones that you're kind of commonly familiar with in the grocery store or if you grow your own, those are all Basidiomycetes. So they're okay. kind of two different divisions of the uh, kingdom of fungi. Okay. Um, but that SCOBY is actually just cellulose that's produced through the action of those bacteria and yeast consuming the sugar when you initially start your kombucha batch. Um, they're eating all of the sugars that you add and they're producing that cellulose kind of cap, so to speak, uh -huh. uh, on the surface of the kombucha. So it's actually, again, it's, it's you know, wild fermentation uh, differs from probiotics in that sense is that it's, it's an extremely diverse community of lots of different types of microorganisms, uh, not only one kind of specific thing. All right. Excellent. That's that's really interesting. I appreciate you clarifying that, too, because yeah. I've always wondered exactly what that is and what that's made of. Um, but and it is interesting. I actually tried to grow my own lion's mane. Uh, I yeah. ordered a, a, you know, a, a bag and I thought I followed all the rules. But what I ended up with was just a bunch of mold, uh, yeah. basically just this white, you know, looked looked like mold on a block of cheese is what it looked like. Yeah. Um, so real quickly, what is that versus the mushroom that I was trying to grow? Do you know the answer? So, to that? yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what necessarily what mold was growing right, on there. Right, what so, specific one. You know, but... Can't get into that much too deep, but uh, mold is just, again, another type of fungi. They're decomposers. So if they find an environment that is conducive to that growth, you're going to get that thing to come along, whether through the air or you handling it or, you know, I mean, there's a million different ways that it could have been introduced to that. And that's going to take over. And so what likely happened is, is that you created an environment that wasn't appropriate for the lion's mane mushroom to fruit out. Uh -huh. And instead you got a, you know, basically a parasitic mold, if you want to call it a parasite, because it was eating the substrate that you were hoping that the mushroom itself was going to eat right. instead. So, so yeah. Okay. And again, you know, these things will change over time, uh, you know, depending on what type of environment, if it's too moist, if it's too dry, you know, too hot, too cold, you know, so it's, you, you just favored something else. More than likely that white mold though was safe. Yeah. Unintentionally favored, but yes. All yes, right. Yeah. Well, I got to give that another shot because I've uh, I'm, I'm certainly no mycologist, but uh, I would love to play around with that a little bit more. All right. Well, I think we have run up against our time here, uh, Nick. It's been a real pleasure uh, speaking with you. I uh, can't wait to get to uh, uh, get into some of these other topics a little bit more. I would love to do an episode all about mushrooms and talk about the various forms of medicinal mushrooms and maybe even get into some of the mushrooms uh that uh, people are using medicinally in terms of uh, like uh, psilocybin, that kind of yep. thing, because that's a fascinating topic, I think, for a lot of people. So I definitely look forward to having you back on the show. And we'll list, as I said, the book uh, by uh, Sandor Katz. Uh, in fact, we'll list both of them. I'll find them both and get them on there. And I think I'll be ordering those for myself as well. So yep. uh, we'll have all that information in there for you uh, to check out. 
on your own. If you have questions about anything that you, we've talked about, you can call us, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or you can go to our website, vitalitynutrition.com, and open up a chat. We'll be happy to talk to you there as well. Or, of course, uh, you can visit us in Bountiful if you're local. We'd love to see you there at 107 South, 500 West. Nick, I appreciate your time here today on Vitality Radio. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, I'd love to be back on. And we can talk about a whole host of whatever topics you're interested in or your your listeners are interested in. I'm excited to do it. I can tell that you are a, a deep diver into these things and uh, have a wealth of yeah. information. So I'm excited to tap tap your brain for more uh, on a future episode. And for everyone else, thank you uh, for listening to Vitality Radio. I know you have lots of options when it comes to podcasts that you can listen to. There's a million of them in health and nutrition out there. Uh, the fact that you choose to spend your time listening to me means so much to me. I hope that I bring to you some value on a regular basis. And if you do love what you hear, uh, feel free to give me a, a thumbs up in the form of a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And really, more than anything, what I'd love you to do is share it with friends and family. And let's see if we can make this audience grow even more. Thank you so much for listening to me. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.